0: Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning, church. Alex, I'm excited for for you, for Hudson to be baptized today. Uh, Look forward to that. Well, um, my name is Michael and I am the lead pastor here. I'm uh, glad that we're here to worship together. And we're wrapping up today. Uh, This is part six of our six-part series called Future Proof, which is six ways to future-proof your faith. And uh, each week during this series, we're doing an emphasis Something that is part of an emphasis, the life of our church, that will help us to be more future-proof as disciples and also future-proof as a church. So today is the last one. And the emphasis for today is households that leave a legacy of faith. Households that leave a legacy of faith. Or uh, put more in common terms, discipling kids. That's what we're talking about, discipling children. Uh, the Christian faith places a very high value on uh, marriage and children and also on passing down the faith to the next generation so most Christians would agree with that so far. My thesis of this sermon today that I want to talk about is it's harder to disciple kids in the Christian faith than it used to be it's harder today I mean every generation every every period of time has its unique challenges and my thesis is that there is a this, this is a unique time um historically speaking in the last hundred years or so there are unique challenges in this time that were not challenges at least not as much of a challenge in 20 30 40 50 60 years ago and so there are unique things we need to take into account when it comes to discipling our children and this, the reason for this is that the culture that we live in is no longer hospitable to our beliefs. I'm not saying that, you know, our country used to be, you know, this aflame for Christ in some way. Um, but I'm saying that there used to be a degree of hospitality towards the Christian faith within our culture where being a Christian was respected, welcomed. It was, a, it was an encouraged as a good thing within our society. But that's not the case anymore. And so our beliefs and our way of life um, is not as not as welcome. And for that reason, we should at least be aware of that and to make adjustments as necessary. One thing that I've seen in recent years is that there's been an increase in kids who were raised in Christian homes that have abandoned the faith as they hit their 20s. Usually this happens when they hit their 20s. So uh, a child's mind is like wet cement. So it's a, it, is, it is something that, that is hardening into place, but it takes, it takes some time for that to play out. And so being like wet cement, their beliefs and their thoughts and their attitudes that are formed in early childhood, they, are, they need to be set in place for a period of time so that as the concrete sets, that, that child will, will, will stay in that same shape. So God designed it this way. This is a good thing. God, this is the way God designed uh, human beings. And so a lot of, in a lot of cases, the wet cement of a child's thinking is increasingly influenced by the world and the world's thinking more so than by their faith. Obviously there's influences of both, the parent's faith, but also the world. That's true of everyone. Um, But there are unique influences that we're dealing with now that are different than what they were in a previous generation. And those have a great effect on a child's mind. This can easily happen whenever the majority of a child's time is spent in environments that do not encourage that child's faith, right? So that's what we're gonna talk about today, discipling our kids or leaving our kids a faithful legacy, a believing legacy. We're gonna be in Ephesians chapter six, Ephesians chapter six, and I'm gonna read the first four verses here. Let's listen to God's word. Are we on the screen? We're not in the Gospel of Luke, I can tell you that. All right, Ephesians chapter six. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's word. Let me make some observations from this text. Are we up there? Let me push my button here. We'll make some observations from this text. Um, the idea that we're talking about here, it's a continuation from where we were last week um, of having well-ordered households. So um, five quick observations here. The first one is that kids are commanded, children are commanded to obey their parents. Simple and straightforward, right? Because obeying your parents is the training ground for obeying God later in life. So you you learn by obeying your parents what it looks like to respect authority in general and also ultimately God's authority. Second observation, parents are commanded to instruct their children in the faith. Are we up here now? Good, okay. Parents are commanded to instruct their children in the Christian faith. Now this is particular, the father has a unique responsibility. There's a particular responsibility of the father to do this, but generally it's the responsibility of both parents. So the phrase discipline and instruction of the Lord, that means teaching them a thoroughly Christian way of life to where they see um, as, as our mission statement as a church, helping a child do what we do as a church, helping people to know and love and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. That's, that's what it means to bring a child up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Number three, this commandment is simply a reapplication of the second commandment. So back in Moses' time, the Ten Commandments, what Paul is saying here is simply a reapplication of the second commandment. And so he quotes Exodus 20, verse 12. And I'll I'll read you that in just a moment. Number four, this command is wrapped within a promise. This command... Bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is wrapped within a promise. In fact, of all the Ten Commandments, it's the only commandment that has an explicit promise attached to it. Now, let me read to you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. So this is the second commandment. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. I said the second commandment. That's a fourth commandment. Am I right? Yeah, it's a fourth commandment. Honor your father and mother. That, so that, that means this is, this is the promise part. So honor your father and mother and the result, your days may be long in the land that your Lord God is giving you. So even though this is an Old Testament promise, as New Testament Christians, we might say, well, that, that promise does not apply in the same way to us as Christians now. But what Paul is saying, well, this, this promise does apply now may not be in exactly the same way because we are not constituted as a nation the way Israel was. Nevertheless, the principle underlying this command uh, is, includes this promise. And so there is some continuing effect in the Christian church. Now, number five, the promise is that God will give you a faithful legacy. The promise is that God will give you a faithful legacy. And I'm summarizing the concepts here. But what, what Moses is saying in the 10 Commandments, through the Spirit of God who spoke through Moses, and what Paul is applying here in the New Testament time, is that this is how you future-proof your faith. This is how you future-proof your household's faith, I should say. There's a couple elements. There's an element of blessing, that it may go well with you, and there's an element of longevity, that you may live long in the land. Now, parents, that's, uh, that's what every Christian parent would desire for their kids. I want my kids to do well, I want him to love Jesus. I want him to have a long life. Isn't that what we dream for our children? Um, we want this. And so this, this text in Ephesians 6, which harkens back to the fourth commandment, is, is telling us this, this is how God's wired the world. It's God's design. This is the, the grain with which the world moves that, that goes with God's design. So the promise is still in effect. God still blesses households. And God still, uh, we, we still bless, he still blesses households that follow this command. Now, let me just pause here. You're probably thinking, some of you, that's like, well, I know Christian parents who did it just right. They did everything right, and their children still rebelled. That is true. A promise, it's not the same to you as a guarantee of an outcome. There, are, there will always be exceptions in, in these sorts of promises, but that does not negate the promise. The, the promise is a promise that God honors his word. God honors the way that uh, he's designed the world. And generally, whenever we live in line with the way God's designed the world, things will go according to that design. So this is God's design that does not guarantee in every specific instance a particular outcome because it's a fallen world. And so there's always going to be uh, there's always going to be instances where somebody is hard-hearted and rebellious. Nevertheless, even though that's true, I don't want us to miss the promise part. Acknowledging the exception, don't miss the promise part. And the promise part is that God will honor this. Generally speaking, God will honor this. Whenever a family raises their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, they give their kids a Christ, a thoroughly Christian worldview. That that generally will work out well. They're generally going to, that cement, wet cement is going to be fashioned in such a way that their hearts are shaped by the commands of God and the truth of the gospel. And then over time, as they grow older, that will harden into place and that will set them in a particular course of life. Now you see this taught in Proverbs 22, verse six, which says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, that's a principle. That's a principle that generally applies. It's a way of saying this is the way God has ordered the world. That's not a guaranteed outcome for every single child and every single parent. Nevertheless, this is generally the way the world works. Even a fallen world, God in in the power of his spirit that is at work within believers, whenever we raise our children in this way, generally, the kids will follow it. So God's promise works through ordinary means to bring about that promise and the ordinary means is how we educate how we disciple how we inform the minds and shape the minds of children so a child's soul being like wet cement his or her soul is shaped or formed by the kind of education that they receive so the bottom line that i'm getting at is this education is discipleship Discipleship is education. It's the same thing. A child's schooling is spiritual because our schooling, our education, it forms our soul. I went to Buffalo schools. Uh, Buffalo Elementary, Buffalo Middle School, Buffalo High School. Uh, Elementary, middle and high, K through 12. But I never understood at that time what education was for in my mind and my thinking as a child, I always thought school is where you learn reading, writing, and arithmetic, the three R's. Three, reading, writing, and arithmetic, that's a joke. Um, So you can grow up and you can have a good chance to get a good job, right? Isn't that how we normally think about school? You you learn some input, some data, and the data is total value neutral, morally neutral. It's just data. And then um, at home is where you learn your values, but at school, it's just neutral data. And then you take that data and then you apply it later on in life to get a job. That's what I thought. It wasn't until I was much older that I, I learned a Christian perspective on education, and that education is actually discipleship. It is spiritual formation. So I think I think Christian parents tend to underappreciate just how massively important and formative schooling is for our children. Formally at school, that's where we learn read and write and arithmetic. Three R's. We learn our alphabet, we learn history and science and math and social studies. That's our formal education. But the part that we underappreciate is the informal part of our education. That's the hidden curriculum that is within a school, a hidden curriculum that, that it's where, that's along the lines where values and, and desires are formed and shaped within a child's soul because of the social environment that they're in. Kids are socialized by their school environment. Think of it this way, kids learn what's cool or not cool not from their parents, am I right? If your parents do it or believe it, that is the definition of not cool. Your friends tell you what's cool. Why? Because your friends are the ones that you look to to tell you what's important, what's valuable, what is to be desired, or to put it more spiritual terms, what is beautiful, what is the good that we are pursuing. Now, kids don't talk that way, but that is what's happening. And those little things subtly shape and inform our minds and our desires. Don't dismiss that. That's really important. And so to put it another way is that um, education is discipleship. Your child is being discipled in whatever educational environment they're in. That is, soul formation is going on at whatever educational environment they're in. And so consequently, education is never neutral. We probably assume that. I think it's natural to assume that. I assume that for most of my life is that, you know, school is just, that's just information. That, and it's just, it's, it's kind of like a math equation. That's all it is, without realizing that the things that I learned and things that I was taught in school actually form my values. It's, it, it, was, it was helping to shape my soul and orient my soul in a particular direction. And it takes some maturity, some experience, some years, and some knowledge of scripture and the way the world works to be able to reflectively look back and realize that had a massive impact on my life and that's the way that's that is a natural thing because god's design of the world is that whatever is shaping their mind whatever is teaching them how to think how to see the world that is discipleship so education is never neutral it is always aimed at shaping a child in a particular way now In a minute, I wanna get into some more practical things, but before we get to the practical stuff, I want to make a distinction between law and wisdom. Law and wisdom. And this is something I really, really want to make sure that everybody hears me say this morning. There are some things in life that are matters of right and wrong. It's good, it's evil, one or the other, and to obey is righteous, To disobey is sin, and you deal with sin by confessing it, repenting of it, taking it before the Lord. Jesus Christ died for that sin so that you can be forgiven, and then you walk in repentance and faith. So the law tells you what's right and what's wrong. Now, other matters are matters of wisdom. Wisdom is how we navigate a fallen world and try to find our way through various options in front of us that don't always add up to a right or wrong answer. You could say it's matters of doing what's best, giving, doing what, what you think is the best of the available options before you. Given the particulars of your situation, that's wisdom. And so let's say you're wanting to buy a car and the salesman says, uh, you know, How much can you afford? You say $100 a month. And he talks you into something that's $120 a month. Is that a sin for you to buy that car? Probably not, but it might not have been wise given the particulars of your situation. So when we're talking about these things, we need to to distinguish between what is a sin issue and what's a matter of wisdom, or we might say a matter of conscience. So wisdom is not so much about right and wrong. Wisdom is about discerning degrees of what's good. He could say, here's a, here's a good option. There's a better option beyond that. And there's the best option beyond that. Now, given the particulars of my situation, the best I can do is a good option. And the, a good option that's wise and not sinful, it might be uh, the best of the bad options. That, that is true. So when we're, when we're taking this concept and applying it to educating children, we gotta keep that in mind because I don't want to communicate or come up, I don't want you to get the impression that I'm saying there is a right way to do it. You all must do it. And those who don't are sinful and you might be under church discipline if you don't do it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's degrees of good and then there are perils in every option. There are things that might be good in any option. And so we need to discern If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about this. We need to discern degrees of good to navigate our way through complicated scenarios. So in this topic, the law part, Ephesians 6, Exodus 20. The law part, so that's bring up your children in the discipline instruction of the Lord, taking responsibility for that and trying your best to do that. If a parent, if a Christian parent is like, I don't really care about that, then that's sin. That parent needs to repent. Now, the wisdom part is a parent saying, I want to do that. I want my child to be brought up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, given the particulars of my situation, my marriage situation, am I married? Am I divorced? My kids, I've got a child with special needs. It takes a lot of attention. Plus, I have these other kids. Or your family situation, you might have a lot of help. You might have family in town or you might not. There are unique particulars of every situation that's going to Point you in favor of one option or another. And what I want, I want to say it here, and I want to say it again at the end as I I conclude, is that this should not be a matter where people are judging each other. Where we're saying is that you didn't do it the right way. And there's a sense of superiority and arrogance. Or a person that feels, I didn't do it the way I wish I could have done it, and so you feel totally under a heap of condemnation. That's not good either. So I want to move into some practical things but I wanna set it up here at the beginning and I wanna to return to it at the end. I wanna sandwich it in here. I wanna make sure that that's crystal clear. I'm not making this a moral pronouncement. I want to process out loud with you some factors that can help you think, think through how, what is a good option for you to educate your kids. So the wisdom part, it is a matter of looking to scripture, uh, prayer, evaluating your options, reflecting, taking counsel with other people, and ultimately making a decision and stepping out in faith. All right, typically, when it comes to educating kids, there's three basic options uh, for Christian parents. There are others, but here's the three main ones. There's homeschool, there's private Christian school, and then there's public school. Again, whatever option a family chooses, that's not a matter of law, righteousness, and sinfulness. Rather, it's a matter of wisdom, because there are lots of variables and different circumstances for different people. And nobody can decide it for you. Nobody can just say like, here's what you gotta do because this is something that everybody has to work out on their own. Some of you, um, you're you're at a stage in life where you've already made a decision sometime in the past and now you're just playing uh, playing out that decision. That's me. My kids go to a private, Christian school. And um, that that was a decision that, that seemed right for us whenever we first put our kids in school. But now my kids are 12, 10, 8, and 6th grade. So we've made the decision and now we're living with it. Now let's say something were to change and I thought, man, that was a terrible decision. I might not be able to change it. I might be like, well, I need to just believe the grace of God for the situation I'm in and trust the Lord that I can't go back and change the past. I'm living in the reality of the past choices that I've made. So we, that's, that's for some of us. In, in our church, we've got a lot of young people. Laura, how many pregnant people? Are, you said that, you, you counted up the other day. How many? 13. 13, 13 pregnant people, <laughs> praise the Lord. Oh, Hannah, I love you. <laughs> pregnant women. <laughs> Thank you, yes, only women can get pregnant, at least at this church. <laughs> only women get pregnant here. That's too good. <laughs> so, so for, that's, if you're wondering who's my target audience in, the, in this sermon, I'm talking mostly to people that you're right in this point of making a decision. Some of you, if you 've already made a decision, or if your kids are grown and out of the house and you 're retired whatever the situation is for you, just receive this uh, you know as an encouragement um, for other parents that you 're in touch with but but um, we 're thinking about future proof right so my my heart is what will be what will have this church here in fifty years, and so that The babies that are in your wombs now, their children will will be able to come to this church and we're still a faithful, Bible-preaching, gospel-believing church in 50 years. That's my heart. What's future-proof? And future-proof church is made up of future-proof households. And this is a key part of future-proof households, how we disciple our kids. So this is going to be a perennial topic, especially since we're in a university neighborhood, so there's always lots of young people. There's always lots of young couples, lots of uh, pregnant women that are part of our church. So this is something that is a, is a regular conversation, and I want to model a way of speaking and thinking through how, to, how people decide. I want to model it here so that way, hopefully, this can be a way that we engage in this conversation with one another in a way that isn't, a heap of condemnation or is it arrogant and proud? Um, personally, well, I'll just, I'll just share this. Like my tendency is to feel condemned. That's, that's, my, that's my temptation is I'm a perfectionist. And like most parents, I want the best for my kids. And a lot of times if I feel like, man, I missed the boat on something that would have been better, um, I, don't, I, I tend to beat myself up about it. And so I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, with, I'm a part of this message myself. I'm, a, I'm having to apply this myself. So my hope for you is that you can trust Jesus with your kids and walk in the freedom of the gospel and do the best you can. One last thing before we get into the practical stuff, I'll put my cards on the table. My cards on the table is that I think public school is the least desirable option. I'm not saying it's a sinful or wrong, but I'm saying it's the least desirable option. And I'm saying that now on the front end because it will be evident in some of the points that I make. Nevertheless, with anybody, no matter what options are before you, this is a matter of doing the best we can. This is wisdom, not law. Some, For some people, like that's, that, that is the only option that's available to you. And so I want you to feel the freedom to, to choose what is best for you and to follow the leading of the spirit without feeling condemned, if you're not able for for whatever reason to do something that you might prefer or might think would be better. But I would also want us to consider to not just assume a default option and to not even consider alternatives. So this, I'm trying to thread a needle here, if you can tell, (laughs) I'm really trying to thread a needle because I want to advocate for something I think is good. But in the past, whenever I've done that, it is often received as, boy, he's judgy, he's condemning us, like he thinks we're sinful. And I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to avoid all of those angry emails in advance. So there you go. There are seven factors I want to walk through um, as we consider education. Um, and you can, we'll walk through these and you can prayerfully reflect on them. Um, the first one, a big word, um, it's the teleological factor. I don't normally use words like this in a sermon, but teleological factor, that means what is the goal? The end. So our journey begins with the question, what is the goal of a child's education? I've already answered this question, um, but just, I'll say it again, education is discipleship. All of Christ for all of life. And a thoroughly Christian education teaches kids that this is God's world and everything in it belongs to Him, and Jesus Christ is Lord over every square inch of it. That's what we teach our children. And so everything that we learn in school, every subject, ultimately serves the purpose of knowing our God, living in His world, serving and loving our fellow man. That is a that is purpose of an education. So we learn math knowing that God's world is orderly, and predictable we learn art because we know that god created the world with beauty and glory we learn science because discovering the world can help us better discover the god who made it you might know like francis bacon he's considered the father of modern science the father of the scientific method he was a devout christian and he he was able to proceed in his field of study because he believed this is God's world. And God made it orderly and predictable because that is our God. Our God is a God of order, not of disorder, First Corinthians 14. And so scripture informed the world and the way in which he saw the world and the way he engaged his scientific discipline. A lot of the greatest scientists of history were devout Christians applying their faith to a field of study. So all of education is discipleship. Um, All right, here's here's the second factor, the responsibility factor, responsibility factor. So then the next question is, who is responsible for providing that education for the child? I've already answered this as well, but I want to note it here. The primary responsibility for a child's education is the child's parents particularly the father who leads out to make sure that this gets done. So parents then, they have the responsibility for choosing who they might partner with to help provide that education for a child. Because it's not as though the only people that will ever participate in a child's education is mom and dad. The parents, they they have a responsibility for selecting and filtering who might partner with them in that education. Now, in, in our day, in the modern day, not everybody sees it that way because not everybody sees the parents as having the ultimate responsibility for the child. In fact, it's becoming increasingly common for people to assume that educating the kids is primarily the government's responsibility. Like the state gets primary interest in educating a child. So modern education is heavily influenced by philosophers and thinkers like rousseau and Karl marx who believed that children belonged primarily to the state and so since they belong to the state the state's interests are being served in the education of a child and so rousseau's belief in particular is that the government should have complete control over the upbringing of children and that uh, that upbringing should become to make them compliant with the state's interests this view is increasingly common, and it, 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 it's become more of just an, assu- an assumption that well, that's the government's job. It's the state's job to educate my kids, and uh, as a parent, I have my my part in it to go to PTA or whatever. But but really, it's the government's job. And but I, I want to challenge that assumption to say, actually, no, it's it's the parents' responsibility. So it's important for parents to remember that that is God. Uh, Alex mentioned this earlier, like we have the children as a temporary stewardship uh, for a period of time and our job is to equip them to disciple them to help prepare them for life in this world and so parents need to decide for themselves what are the options before them and to to choose accordingly third factor it's the financial factor financial factor so parents you have to anticipate the financial burden that it will take to educate a child Public schools are funded by your tax dollars. So typically that's going to be the cheapest option. Um, And for for a lot of people, that's gonna be the only option uh, because the other options are really expensive. But that's that's, the, financially speaking, that's gonna be the cheapest option. A private Christian school that uh, will often be the most expensive option um, because not only are you already paying for taxes that go to public schools, but you're also having to pay tuition and fees and expenses for your private school. Um, so everything in a private school is funded by the parents through tuition. In the case of my kid's school, we're able to use the voucher here in the state of Ohio because of our school district. And that has enabled us to offset those expenses. And then there's scholarships that we've been able to benefit from. So that's been a huge blessing to us that we would not, there's no way we've, we would have been able to afford it. In fact, we we added this up at dinner the other night. It would have it would take my entire salary to pay my kids' tuition if we just paid sticker price for our kids' school. So uh, yeah, that's a, we feel extraordinarily blessed to have the schooling my kids have. With homeschool, it's a little bit harder to calculate because you've got, um, you have I guess you could call it opportunity costs with the mother who would presumably be educating the kids who might otherwise be earning an income. So the expenses for homeschool can vary quite a bit, but the parents are in control of all the choices and all the um, of, of all the, the, the variables that go that can comprise that child's education. So the parents have the most control in that situation with homeschool. But the financial picture is complicated because you might because basically it requires the mother in most cases to be the one that is not working and earning an income, but rather at home with the child. Nevertheless, the, if you were to send them to a Christian school, a private Christian school, then the in- income that she's earning might go totally to that tuition. So it could be a wash, um, but, but, but then again, those are just things you have to, you have to factor in. It's like, what, what might be, if you could do the math on it, what might be our financial outlook for homeschooling, which we lose a source of income, but we also are not paying the expenses of a private school versus doing the opposite and do do the math and and calculate which which is the most financially viable option for you. Um, Number four is the capacity factor. This is probably on the minds of a lot of mothers, especially, you're thinking, could I even do that? (laughs) Um, Especially when the kids are little, um, you feel exhausted, you feel overwhelmed a lot of times. And you're thinking, I can't even keep up with laundry, much less adding reading, writing, and arithmetic to the agenda, plus I'm not a good teacher, uh, or you might not feel equipped to do that. And so it's, it's um, whether or not you have the mental and emotional capacity, you know, that's an important question to consider. And so I think because um, when the kids are little, because you feel tired, you, you, it, it seems like, man, to add homeschooling to this current situation is, is, there's no way. There's no way I could possibly add to my already busy schedule, especially if you're expecting more kids to come along. Um, so in that situation, my suggestion is this. First, don't just assume I could never do it. We didn't do it, we didn't homeschool our kids, so I'm, just, I'm, I'm speaking more hypothetically here, but from people that I've talked to, this is, this is what I've heard and I think this is valid. Don't just assume automatically I could never do that. Because maybe, maybe it's not as hard as you're making it out in your mind to be. You might be thinking that you, know, it's, you translate everything that you experienced in your public school growing up, you now have to translate and do exactly the same thing in your house. So you have to stand up at a chalkboard and you have to lecture on all these different subjects while the kids sit at their desks and quietly listen and take notes. That may not be how it goes. And in fact, if you would talk to a lot of homeschool parents, you might find out it's not like that at all. And as I've talked to Wade, he's, he's described for me how there's more integration into the rhythms of your life and you're you're taught through resources that you get uh, in, in a homeschooling world, how to integrate education into your daily rhythms so that it's not, it's not a classroom, lecture, chalkboard kind of situation. Point being is that, you might find that it's more doable than you thought. And it might be a challenge that, that you could rise to and you know God would, God would strengthen you to do it. A lot of times um, we're able to do more. Just think about the day I got married. I, did, I thought, I'm not ready for this. But I did it anyway and I got ready. And then the day our first child was born, I thought, I'm not ready for this. The day my fourth child was born, I thought, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> but I got ready by doing it. And and the commitment forced me to make the adjustments needed to, to meet the challenge. Number five, social factor. Social factor. Your child's education is not just in the classroom. The education also takes place in his or her social environment. And so the people that they spend, the people that your children spend, the majority of their time around is going to have a lasting impact on them. It's very important. We know peer pressure. We've heard of this, right? Peer pressure. And so if a parent has their kids, like my kid's hanging out with all the worst crowd at school, the parent's going to be concerned, right? Because the parents know bad company corrupts good character. You want your child to have good character, not bad character. So you're concerned about their social environment you extrapolate that to the entire educational environment, the entire school, all of those factors do have an impact on the child. So Proverbs thirteen twenty says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So you could say it this way. Um, children are catechized by their social environment. And it's not always in a, question and answer sort of format, right? Um, you think of a catechism, you think, "What uh, is does the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him That's not the sort of social catechism I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way that their desires are formed just by the things that other kids like. The music they listen to, the TV shows they want to watch, the movies they want to watch, the books that they read. Um, all of those things are informed more by their social environment and rarely by direct instruction. It's because their tastes and preferences and desires and instincts and reflexes are being shaped by the people that they're spending the majority of their time with now somebody might say well i'm i'm sending my child to be a missionary to this to this school or i'm sending my child and my child is going to be salt and light in this school that's a noble desire i i, I affirm that as a good thing to desire And certainly there are lots of examples that we can think of where God has used kids in a school in that way. So I don't don't deny the fact that, that that does happen. But overall, I would say it's a risky move. It's a risky move because kids are impressionable and their hearts and their minds and their thoughts are wet cement. And for a child to be salt and light or to be a missionary would mean that they need to have the social stamina and the willpower and the disagreeableness that is required to go against everybody else when the most important thing in their life at that age is to fit in. And if the crowd's doing one thing, that child knows instinctively, I'll be stigmatized, I'll be be hated. And so at best, they end up just staying quiet and going along because they don't wanna make waves. But in some cases, um, it, could be the, it could be even worse where they, they end up going along because that's what it takes to fit in. And that's, that's high premium for kids. Kids wanna fit in. Grownups wanna fit in. I wanna fit in. We all wanna fit in, right? Like we all want to be liked and respected and loved by our peers. So it, it, it's hard at every age. And so I don't think it is wise to expect a child to be able to overcome those things. Now, if your child is in that environment, then that's all the more reason for a parent to, parent to be very attentive to those things, to have a lot of conversations with the child, to know who their friends are, know what they're doing, to try to find other Christian parents that they can connect their children with, to be proactive, because that is really important. The social factor is huge. You know, if, we, if you're gonna send a missionary to another country, um, before you put them on a plane with a pocket full of cash, you're generally going to assess them for their character and their spiritual maturity. Why would we not do the same with our kids? Kids, uh, kids, I love you. Children, you're fools. <laughs> kids are fools. And that it's because they're just immature. They, they haven't grown up yet. And so there's gonna be a lot of foolish behavior. Uh, and that's Bible, by the way, read Proverbs. Um, I don't mean that in an insulting way, but children can do foolish things. And so children need the influence of parents to help strengthen their resolve. And so to, to expect a child to be able to just withstand and overcome the, the pressures of their environment, that's, that's a pretty tall ask. Some kids can do it. There are some kids that have that maturity. Praise God for that. I hope that that's the case with more. Nevertheless, the, to, to make that a, a matter of principle, to say, I'm gonna send my child because I want them to be a missionary, I don't think that's a good principle to use as a a point of making a decision. Number six, the curriculum factor. The curriculum factor. That's the content. Um, So Christian parents need to make sure their kids are being taught appropriate material, right? So you're gonna have the most control in a homeschool environment where parents can choose the curriculum themselves and weave it into their family life and uh you know if in christian households that do this they have all day every day to shape these young hearts and minds to know love and obey jesus as lord over all of life and also to to, to live out and demonstrate the gospel by showing demonstrating a modeling for the child uh repentance confession of sin and believing the gospel whenever they fail I've had to do that many times as a parent, and that's that's a good rhythm for any household. But you get to you have more opportunities to do it the more time you're together. Um, in a Christian school, private Christian school, parents have some measure of control, but not all Christian schools are the same. Just like all churches are not the same, not all Christian schools are the same. Some are better than others. A particular danger in a Christian school is that the child assumes that this is. An environment that is aligned with the values that they're being taught at home, when it may not be, but because they both wear the name Christian, there's the assumption that it is. When a lot of times the child is hearing something at school that the, the school, somebody in the school says is Christian when it isn't, and so the child has a higher trust level for what they hear at school because it's a Christian school when a lot of times it's not. And so it's in that environment, um, I think it's good for parents at home to be aware of what the kids are being taught at school and to know when they need to challenge something, like challenge even with their kids. Like, hey, do you think that's true? Do you think it's accurate what you're being taught? Let's evaluate that in light of scripture. That's, just because it's a Christian school doesn't mean it is promoting the values that you would want it to be, be promoted at school. In a public school, you have the least control, parents do. Um, and much of public school curriculum is, is overtly undermining Christian worldview. So for, uh, for example, public schools explicitly reject the notion of a creator God, um, embrace Darwinian evolution. And that does have ripple effects in the thinking of a child. I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot, of, a lot of kids in school these days, they just feel despair. A lot of them are into self-harm. They have a more nihilistic outlook on life because they never hear at any point in their life that there is a creator God that loves them and has a purpose for creating them. Rather, they just evolved from the primordial stew over billions of years, and everything that they believe and have been taught and everything they love and desire is all an illusion caused by chemicals firing at a certain temperature in their brain. Go have a meaningful life, children. it ain't gonna happen. The point here is that schools aren't neutral. public. Christian, homeschool, whatever. It's not neutral. And so you wanna be able to, to, to shape and inform um, what, what is, the, what is the, uh, the, the, the instruction in the Christian faith that, that they're exposed to. Okay, here's the last one, number seven. It's the historical factor. Historical factor. The world is different than it used to be. Uh, I would imagine we would all acknowledge that and, and realize that's true and consequently schools are different than they used to be i have a distinct memory first grade mrs robinson's class it's lunchtime we all line up and i can still see in my mind a picture of all these kids lining up and i can see the door and we're a single file line getting ready to go uh, to to lunch and we stop and pray before we have lunch and i think it was like god is great god is good and we thank him for the food i think it was one of those deals but we prayed And that wasn't that long ago, folks. I'm only 27 years old. (laughs) Why is that funny? (laughs) No, I'm I'm 48. But I'm old enough to remember praying in my public school. That's, That's unthinkable today. I can imagine there would be lawsuits if that happened today. I remember sixth grade, Mr. Knowles. Um, who was a Christian and I knew he went to Locust Grove Baptist Church on Route 75, Wayne County, West Virginia. And uh, he would talk about his Christian faith. And I went to some youth group events type, type of things at his church and I was able to see him at church in a youth group and in my school. And I was able to talk to him about his Christian faith. And years later, I was able to visit in his home as an adult. My wife and I went, we visited with him um, and we we're able to see, see this man that I knew as a role model in school. Nowadays, it's a different story. Now, I know all, every school is different. Now, I'm not at all implying that all schools are uniform and they're all terrible, because I know that's not the case. There are some very good schools out there. And one thing I'm sure of is that there are activists, though, that want to capture the minds of, of children in schools and want to influence things in a particular direction. And that's what Christian parents have to contend with. I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you this, this, is not, this is something that it is important at least to be aware of and take into account. And so if you're considering a school and you take a tour and you're walking down the halls and you look into the different classrooms and you see rainbow flag pride flags in the kids' classrooms, that's, that's important. That's important. You wouldn't see a Christian flag in somebody's classroom but you will see pride flags and that tells you that there is something being celebrated and encouraged and promoted in that environment and your your child wet cement as he or she is is going to be entering in that environment and they're going to have to withstand a lot of pressure to go along with what they're being taught most kids would not be able to withstand that or at least it would be very painful for them to do so and they're going to it's it's going to be very difficult for them to maintain their faith, especially if they end up accepting those beliefs. In fact, for people that walk away and abandon the Christian faith, the, the majority of the cases, it is because they cannot reconcile the Christian faith with the Bible's teaching on homosexuality and various LGBTQ lifestyles. That's the number one reason my kids abandon the faith. Here's the bottom line. 2023 isn't 1990 and it isn't the 1980s when I was a kid and went to school and things have changed significantly. And so we, have to, we just have to account for that. And if your child is in a public school, you have to take, into that, take that into account as a parent and make sure that you are, you are helping your child process and understand uh, through a biblical worldview what, um, what you believe. And so there are many challenges in this year at this time, that are unique. Things that are challenges now that weren't challenges, you know, 30 years ago. So those are the seven factors parents should consider as they decide about their kid's education. Let me give you a couple of qualifications I wanna make sure gets heard today. Once again, I do not believe it is a sin for a child to go to public school. Um, and I don't think that public schools is a spiritual death sentence. I'm just saying there are unique challenges that the parents need to be aware of. Second, I'm aware that for many parents, public school is the only option, so it's it's the best option that you can attain. And so, for you, I, I, do not despair. Do not despair. Like trust God, that just as the exiles were sent into Babylon and God purified them through that trial, that God can do the same. I you know in a with any of our children. So do not despair. I'm. I'm trying to help us process decisions, but I don't want anybody to hear a a sentence of condemnation or judgment for for the situation that you're in. And I know this is particularly difficult for single mothers or for those that, that can't afford any other option. Number three, I am thankful, extremely thankful for faithful Christian adults who work tirelessly in the public school system as teachers and administrators, because you're making a big difference. You truly are salt and light in that environment. And so I think like, we can't we can say thank you. Can we not say thank you to those, to those parents, to those adults that are working in the system? Can we thank them now? Yeah, thank you. For those of you, I want you to hear that your church is fully behind you. And we encourage that. We think it's a wonderful calling you to be in that environment, for you to be the salt and light in that environment that Christ has called us to be. So thank you. You know, my stepmother, she worked her entire career as a public school teacher and she impacted countless lives and she maintains close relationships with many former students. And so you make a big difference. So as we wrap up here, I I, I want us to just remember the promise that Jesus loves our children more than we do. He does. Jesus loves our children more than we do. Jesus is gracious with us. And the power of God, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit within us and within our believing children is, can overcome incredibly difficult obstacles. So I don't want us to feel hopeless or despair. And parents like, we we need grace, am I right? we need grace i need grace there's there's i would say there's probably nothing else in my life where i can i am more tempted to feel condemnation over my failures than as a parent because it means that much to me it's that important to me and so i i feel that temptation and we all we all every christian parent in here i know you love your children you would do anything for your children you want them to know jesus and for a lot of you there's you're like, this, I'm, I'm giving it everything I've got. Praise God for that. Don't, don't let up. God will reward and honor the effort you put in. And what, in whatever way, if through this message, the Holy Spirit would work in your heart to cause you to make an adjustment, follow the leading of the Spirit in that. I can't tell you what to do. I can tell you how I've thought through it. And maybe there are others that would, that would weigh in that could be helpful to you as well. But I just wanna hear you, it's like, we, we do need to encourage each other, to show grace to each other, because we need grace. This, it's, it, is, it is a big challenge to raise children in an environment where we feel like the deck is stacked against us. And so I don't want us to, to give in to fear and just say, well, it's hopeless, what can we do? I want us to say like, you know, God is powerful. God honors his word. That's why I made the emphasis earlier that this is a command with a promise. I'm like, it's not a guarantee that all your children are going to work out exactly the way you'd want them to. But there is a promise that generally, when we put ourselves in the stream of of the movement of God's design, there's blessing there. God honors his promises. and, And we can expect, generally speaking, we can expect good things to happen. And that's why I'm very hopeful. I'm hopeful for our church. I'm hopeful for my own children. I'm hopeful for your children, because I know that, I know you value this. But I want us to make sure we keep, we keep the gospel in view because there's, there's nothing like mommy guilt, daddy guilt. There's nothing like a heap of condemnation we can feel because we feel like our failures are on display in the lives of our children when they don't do what we had hoped that they would do. And so we have to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is always front and center, that we never lose sight of that. We always cling to that, lay hold of that. You are not saved by grace, or, or excuse me, you're not saved by works. Your child is not saved by works. We are saved by grace, I'm getting to that point. But you are not saved by works. Your child is not saved by being perfect. We're not saved by perfect parenting. Our kids are not saved by perfect parenting. Our kids are saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ that hopefully we uphold and honor within our households. That's what saves them and that's what I'm advocating for, is that in our households, Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus and the glory and beauty of Christ is upheld and honored and seen with as much vivid color as possible within our lives and our households, that is compelling. Every Christian who loves the Lord has had parents that failed them in multiple ways. Your parents have failed you, my parents have failed me. And here we are. Because God makes straight lines with crooked sticks, amen? Okay, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we worship you and we thank you for the grace that you have shown us in Christ and for the beautifully wonderful way that you've ordered the world. That through men and women, you bring new life into this world that are eternal souls and that we have the privilege of shaping those eternal souls for your glory. That you've delegated that to us, you've entrusted that to us. And Lord, I pray that you will help us as we consider very difficult decisions. And as we consider discipling our kids and educating our kids and, um, in, you know, in a tough environment, I pray, Lord, that you will help us, one, to do it well, to have the wisdom to know what our options are and what the best option is for us that we can pursue, but also would help us to do everything with the grace of Jesus Christ in view, knowing that it is not good parenting or good education that saves our kids. It is ultimately the gospel of Jesus Christ that is put on display in our whole lives. So Lord, I pray as we finish not only the sermon, but this series, that in each of our households, Jesus Christ will be lifted high and praised and glorified, put on display as beautiful and glorious in every way. May that also be true in this church, at Christ the King Church. May Jesus Christ be sung about and glorified and worshiped and delighted in and prayed to for generations. Lord, make us a future-proof church that stays faithful for generations. We know you can do that, and we trust in your power that you will, and we pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We are Christ the King Church, for more information about our church, please visit us at ctksency.com.